So yeah, I think knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you was really hard. Mm-hmm. But knocking on the door and saying, I'd love to interview for my podcast, which talks about women and their careers and their love of food and how they nourish themselves and their families has been such an easier way to get to those people. Welcome to this week's episode of the Online Creator Podcast. My name is Kim, your podcast host, business mentor, and audio storyteller. This show is a space to inspire through conversations and community to help us keep connected, keep inspired, and keep moving towards our goals. Expect to hear honest conversations and real-life experiences from entrepreneurs at every stage of business and from a wide range of industries. Find your confidence, see what is possible, and build the legacy that you have dreamed of. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Online Creator Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lisa Sangadolci. She is the owner and founder of Julie's Cookie Company and the host of the Culinary Chronicles podcast. Lisa brings her experiences from life as an entrepreneur, owner of a bakery and culinary classroom, and so much more to today's episode. I have had the privilege of working with Lisa to help launch and produce the season one of the Culinary Chronicles podcast, and I could be not more proud and honored, like I said, to have worked with such a such an amazing human. So today we really dig into why she chose podcasting to help market her business and her brand and some of her experiences around entrepreneurship and some tips for entrepreneurs on how to recognize opportunities in business. She has a ton of experience and has a, such a joy when we start speaking about business and life and all the things in between. So help me in welcoming Lisa to the show today. I know you'll enjoy this one. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show today. Hi, thank you for having me, Kim. So I want people to know all about all the good things about you. There's so many stories, so I know we can't get to them all today, but let's start. Let's start with how you've leveraged your voice to build your business and brand and why you chose uh, podcasting to be part of that visibility strategy. Okay, easy to answer because you know me now. I love to talk and I love to talk to everyone and anyone. And I started my business by hosting all of our culinary classes and being the host and kind of like having my spiel and my shtick and my jokes when I used to teach. And I just had everything timed out as a public speaker slash teacher. And I just, I missed talking to everyone because now I'm more operation. And I found that podcasting would be such an amazing way to reach out to people that I admire and I love and I'm inspired by just to have a conversation with. And podcasting has opened doors for me to talk to, you know, amazing high profile lawyers and chefs and people doing such amazing, cool things in the entrepreneurship world and celebrities and people that maybe not like, you know, A-list celebrities, but you could cut that out. But have you talked to any celebrities? Yes, you have. You well, I guess them. like, yes, you have. Cooking celebs, yeah. And yeah. food and industry celebs. So yeah, I think knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'd love to have a coffee with you was really hard. Mm-hmm. But knocking on the door and saying, I'd love to interview for my podcast, which talks about women and their careers and their love of food and how they nourish themselves and their families has been such an easier way to get to those people. 
so selfishly, I just enjoy doing it because I I love talking to people and I'm always amazed by every every story and everyone that I've interviewed and you and I have shared so much about who I've interviewed and how crazy their lives are and how they survived different things and built empires and just followed their dreams. And I, I love that. And I'm so happy that I can reach out to those people, tap them on the shoulder virtually and say, hey, you know, turn on your computer for half an hour and let's have this amazing chat. And I don't know, it just fills my cup because I'm I'm learning so much and I'm so grateful that I can have these conversations without traveling and flying and staying in hotels and meeting these people. And yeah, it's such a cool experience. I love it. Selfishly, I'm so, I'm so happy to be doing it. Yeah. And I'm so lucky and privileged to be able to work with clients like you because I get the opportunity to listen to these amazing conversations. And I feel like I'm kind of like a fly on the wall or just sitting beside you in a coffee shop. And you can tell when people are excited to have a conversation. You can tell by the excitement in their voice, their expressions on their face, because we do both video and audio for your podcast. It's some of the stories are so cool and so unique. I had no idea there were so many different job opportunities in the food industry. Like, and even that. So was it hard for you to decide that, you know, food was going to be like the main topic or was it just something that you knew all along because you have, you definitely have a history and a love for food because that's what you do in your businesses and it carries through in the conversations for sure. Yeah. I always think, oh, I could do this kind of job or this kind of job, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm obsessed with food and food trends and food tastes and smells and experiences and the art of gathering around food. So I think it was a no brainer. And I, I think I knew I always wanted to interview only women because as you may know, everything is focused on, you know, the white male man. And I think so there's so much going on in the lives of women that is so interesting that doesn't get put on some of these big podcasts. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the female career and their journeys with food and life and families and friendships. Yeah. I I don't know. It actually just, I didn't really think too much about it. I was like, oh, I want to talk about food and interview women about their food and their experience and career. And I think career comes out so much because these women have accomplished so many amazing things and then talking about their favorite foods and how who they would invite to dinner parties I think was just like a nice combo because I'm so interested in entrepreneurship and business and no it absolutely is and it definitely comes through with the interviews what what is the meaning of food for you like personally that's such a big question it is it would yeah I could talk about that for like days but yeah when you ask that question I think of my grandmother cooking all day long making cakes, making food, making snacks, making pasta from scratch, everything from scratch. I think of my mother, you know, shows her love through food. She she feeds everyone. She fed everyone at the bakery. She feeds everyone at the culinary school. She's always, you never leave her house hungry. And people say that about me. They're like, whenever we come to your house, we're always feeding us. I don't know. I guess it's just from my grandmother to my mom to me. It's just, we can't, we can't express our feelings unless there's food involved. So we're either having a toast or we're having, you know, a, a cookie or my mom's always sneaking in little treats for my son and her purse. And my grandmother always had a candy for us. And, and 
yeah, my grandmother had pasta hanging all around her apartment on broomsticks. And she made this cookie in Sicily that nobody else really makes other than the small town that we're from. So I don't know. I think food is, it just reminds me of being in my aunt's basement and we were 25 people sitting at a long table. Nowadays, I was like, oh, there's a lot of space. But we did that. Like we did Christmases and Easter's and birthdays always in my aunt's basement. And it was such a special part of growing up. And I think, you know, people moved away and, you know, families are more dispersed and that village is gone. And that was all about gathering and the art of gathering and kind of coming together. So think of your fondest memories. They're probably at around a table at on vacation mm-hmm. or at a holiday or at a birthday. So I think talking about that and, and having people relive those memories and sharing how their traditions and the person that talked about that noodle that their their Asian mom made and and how, you know, Emily had that wonderful dinner in, in the dark of the yeah. stars in, in Africa. So there's like those are yeah, those are the things I want to know about people. I don't care what job you do and how much money you make. Oh, tell me what you cook and how you, what's your relaxing go-to in the kitchen or what's your favorite spice or discovery at a like little market in some obscure town in Ontario. Like there's so yeah. much going on in the world of food. You could just, I could talk about this forever. So well, <laughs> absolutely. And actually I was just talking to my mom about some of our favorite Christmas baking. And yeah. I asked her to make... Because she always asks, and she, I don't know why she asks. Because she just makes the same things, and she I knows. love them. <laughs> she knows. But I'm like, you know, those cinnamon roll things. It's like scuffles, and I'm like, yeah, the scuffle things. And it goes well, you know. And then we got into like the history of that because my mom comes from like a German side, but then we also oh, yeah. have Sweden, Swedish, and Norwegian side to us too. And I'm like, where does that come from? And she goes, I think German and Ukrainian food are quite similar, actually, because we were just kind of talking about some of the different foods that, and again, we. Food always comes up in conversation. Yeah. You know, we had friends over the other night and I said, what are we going to have? And I said to Jake, let's like make a whole Chinese eating yeah. theme. And so yep. we had like the fried rice and the uh, sweet and sour short ribs and just things that we don't make all the time. But it was cool to theme it around that. So I think we're always, no matter what we think about it or not, we're always evolving our conversations around food and some of our fondest memories, whether they are like in the basement, like you said, with a family, it doesn't have to be a fancy table, like string. I have memories of that too, right? Like sliding up the folding tables together and just putting a cloth over them and fitting everybody around the table, because those are some of the best conversations and the fondest memories I have growing up too. spending some holidays around extended families. So I love that you center that those conversations around food, because I just think it's a natural conversation that most of us can lean into and talk about and and share. And also something that aspires me to like, you know, carry traditions on with my kids. So Mm -hmm. let's lean into that a little bit. Like, is there something that you really want to teach like your son so that he carries on Um, with like when it comes to food? Because you have so many of these great fond traditions that you had growing up. I think from day one, I've tried to, and, and my partner, I've always tried to include him in the cooking and the baking and the stirring and the everything. So, you know, his grandfather made him this stool we call the pop stool, and it goes up against the oven and the sink. And he's he's always adding the salt or stirring the pasta. And he's only five, so he's been doing this since he could stand on this little pop stool. We've, we've had like pasta parties and pizza parties with his friends making them, you know, as as just fun things do on a wintry day when there's nothing to do because it's so cold. And I think 
having him always be part of it, even though as a parent, you're a little afraid because I'm like, oh, he's too close to the stove. And yeah. my partner's always like, he's okay. And I'm like, oh. but having him, he has like his own set of knives now and a little like oh security glove. And he chops like apples and mushrooms. Okay. And we just want to include him in our meal. So mm-hmm. as a, a child from Italian parents, I wasn't really allowed to do stuff because that's the mom's role and the grandmother's role, and like territorially. We could do all the boring stuff, like wash the dishes and empty the dishwasher, but we're trying to get him into that fun mm-hmm. spot here. And I always tell the story that my mom makes tiramisu, and she has a certain way of dunking the cookies and the coffee and espresso, and she can only do it for a certain amount of seconds. And growing up, we'd be like, can we do that? No, we could never dunk the cookies. So mom, if you're listening, oh my God, you have to let us dunk the cookies one day. <laughs> Um, so those kinds of things, like yeah. I'm trying to just make him be really part of our food preparation yeah. day to day and, and on special occasions. He's, he smelled a cork like two nights ago and he's like, oh, this smells so good. I'm like, oh my God, he's five. <laughs> but that's so, probably what sparks curiosity for him then too. Right. And then he's more curious to try and, or, you know, open to trying different types of foods versus, you know, I just want peas on one side of the plate and yes. potatoes on the other, right? Because yeah. he's part of it. So I love that you do that. I love that you do that. He needs Let's- his own show because he's hilarious. Yeah. Yes. And you also need to like YouTube your mom on teaching oh, people how to make tiramisu because I mean, that's like one of my favorite recipes that uh, I've yeah. never attempted to make on my own. She's got a, a method and, you know, every Christmas yeah. it's the most amazing tiramisu, but I, I've still not dumped those cookies, so <laughs> maybe this Christmas. <laughs> That's so funny. Can we talk a little bit about where your curiosity and spark for entrepreneurship came from? Because you have some of the most amazing stories of your journey, and I just think people need to hear some of that. I, I think an entrepreneur is born an entrepreneur. I think your brain is wired differently, and I didn't realize it until the last maybe five years of my career because the risks that I've taken and the things that I've done all of my friends and family just look at me like why would you do that like it's such a huge risk but I don't understand why I do it I just have something in my head and I just do it so I don't know if that's ADD or like a drive it's something that I think entrepreneurs understand and when when we meet other entrepreneurs we're like yeah we get it we see you we get it you're gonna risk your life and your mortgage and your your whole savings on this idea so it started young I worked with my dad every weekend at his butcher shop and every summer I was always like doing little things at school when I moved out my first boyfriend and I started some weird call business call recording business i started a dating business in my 20s come on eight at eight eight singles around the table four women four men i just always had this like side hustle in me where i was like i would see things all the time at work offices like restaurants and i'd be like oh oh the signs in toronto are so bad i can start a business called wayfinding and i still haven't started that but putting signs so people when they get out of the airport know where to go and Mm-hmm. I have like a million business ideas and I just think it's every day I have a new idea and every day I probably say out loud oh if I had money I would start a business doing this or like you know car seats how come the car seats don't come over a child like why am I digging into my son's like bottom area trying and yeah. like there's so many things that I'm like I wish I could do that I wish I was like rich like Richard Branson and I could start this company so I mean yeah I'd eventually like to start more companies but I think 
I think now my brain is at an age where I'm like, okay, just do what you're doing. <laughs> do what and you're not, doing. And not get too distracted, which I think the brain, the brain I have has just been built that way. Oh my gosh. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started in the food industry? Because I love this story too. Like, I just think oh it's gosh, so cool. Yeah. So I didn't ever dream of starting in the food industry. I didn't have like a passion. I wasn't like a chef. I didn't like, I was, yeah, I was single. I was living in the UK. Uh, I always thought I wanted to have like a and b because I went to really cute B&Bs in the Cotswolds. And I thought, oh, I might do that when I retire, like a beautiful B&B and, you know, host mm-hmm. people from all around the world and get to know them. But my girlfriend, Dipika, she was getting married and I worked in PR. So my bosses were crazy. They were drug fueled, bipolar, crazy ups and downs. And every job I had was like crazier than the next. And I will write a movie screenplay one day about it because it was just 10 years of crazy bosses in a row. And like, what? What is great thoughts to do? Yeah. I mean, I had a few good ones, Emma, if you're with me, and Baha. So the last boss I had that kind of threw me into this career serendipitously passed me for a promotion, gave it to someone else. I went to the CEO and the chairman. I said, look, I'm going to see you guys because this is X, Y, and Z and all these HR rules that have been broken. And they said, look, he brings in 200 million pounds a year and you don't. So we're going to give you a package. I was like, okay, fine. And they knew, they knew that he was like crazy, but he was a good salesperson. So fair. So I got this package for three months to, and I never been laid off. I was, you know, 22. I didn't have any experience on what being laid off. So I had a package for three months and I was, you know, talking to my girlfriend at a, at a pub and she's like, what are you going to do with your time? I was like, oh, I looked and I was like, oh, I'm going to make your wedding cake. And that just, again, like an idea out of zero, out of nowhere. So I went to, I remember going to Birmingham to a cake show and I fell in love with all the glittery, you know, cake cutters and pastel colors and fondant and icing. And I, I, you know, bought so much stuff. I probably used my three month severance on that haul. And I started experimenting and I took a cake class and I absolutely fell in love with this cake class in South London. Um, the business still there it's called fair cake and i like floated out of there saying this is the most amazing business i want to try this and i started it in the north end of london so i was northeast she was southwest and i started doing it at my friend my friend clara's um, little italian deli so we did like a cannoli and espresso making class we did a cupcake decorating class we started cake decorating classes and at first i just recruited my friends and my roommates and my co-workers to join and I just got the bug to kind of try and do that. And I started planning for her cake, which was another, I called my first icing sugar disaster because uh, the chef at her very posh wedding right across from Buckingham Palace in a private members club said, agreed to let me make the cake on site because I had never transported a cake before. So I was in a black cab on the way to her wedding and I bought flour and butter at Tesco, which is like the, our equivalent of Loblaws or Metro. And on my way, I picked up all the supplies. I, because I said, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to transport it. So I made it all there. And before I started the pastry chef, you know, like very fancy, posh chef jacket, he just said to me, okay, you're going to use this kitchen. Like, do you know how to use the, the equipment? And I just looked at all these giant like mixers, which now, now I've had in my commercial bakery. And I just said, of course I do. And he just walked, walked off like, oh, okay, this woman 
So I didn't. And I, because I had done everything by hand, because I was always kind of on the fence of moving home and I didn't want to buy equipment. Again, another weird thing. So I'd been making everything by hand. And I remember putting the flour and icing sugar and the butter in the this giant commercial mixer and turning it on. And it just exploded everywhere on me and my friend Deepika's friend who helped me, who had come from India to like come to the wedding. So we just were like covered in flour and it was hilarious. And the guy poked his head back. He's like, right. Like in British accent. Yeah. I was like, great. We're great. Great. Good. Thank you. And uh, we got the cake on the table before the cake was to be served, but we didn't manage to finish the cake and cupcakes before she walked down the aisle. So they were like, come upstairs, come upstairs, walk down the aisle. So she walked down the aisle, never get forget her face. She just kind of looked over and was like, and I was like, just keep walking, keep walking. But she looked at me and her cousin, like in jeans and an apron, like still with flour, be like, what is going on? And uh, it was, uh, yeah, history was made because then at the wedding, people were like, do you make, cakes and I was like yeah of course I do and I didn't and I just started taking orders and anyway the power of yes just saying yes and that's exactly right baking until you make it right yes yes and then you moved you moved back to Canada and you started in your own bakery and now you have and at the same time did you open up the culinary classroom or did the culinary classroom come a little bit later I started the when I moved home, I just rented an empty apartment right at a busy kind of neighborhood downtown. And I just bought one big Ikea table and I started doing classes there. So my mom and I, I would teach class, clean my mom, and then we'd bake and then prepare for the next class, clean, teach, clean, bake, prepare. It was crazy. And uh, my landlord caught on because back then, I think still now in Sea of Toronto, you're not allowed to work, operate a business from home. My landlord was like, what are you doing in there? And I was like, oh, nothing, just hosting friends. And then like 12 women with pink boxes would come out every Saturday and Sunday <laughs> after each session. Runs. So I uh, I got kicked out-ish. And I said, well, I'm, I'm looking for a commercial space. And I got a big commercial space to do classes. And again, without a business plan, I started the, baker, the, the culinary school at this location on Dundas West which is now the hopping, like the most hopping part of the city. And I had a huge space and I taught classes, but I didn't teach enough classes. And then people would walk by and say, oh, do you make cakes? And I was like, yes. Do you make wedding cakes? Yes. Wedding cake for hire. Wedding cake designer for hire. Pastry chef for hire. Bakery. But kind of just started there because I needed income to support when I wasn't doing classes. But it's been 13 years that we've been doing classes. And I sold the bakery side of the the business last year. And uh, yeah, I'm still doing classes, so. I love it. Imagine this, a customized website design that is as unique as you are and done in one week. Think of us as your in-house website designer. We offer a semi-custom show-up website design that is ideal for the established coach, creative online business owner who is ready to create a presence online and is ready to take action quickly. We build out a layout that nurtures your visitors, SEO best practices to help you get ranked in Google, development of five plus pages to drive traffic, and training and launch support so that you can update your website after our time is done. You have the choice. You can keep spinning your wheels and flying by the seat of your pants, or you can have a strategically designed website that allows you to connect and convert because that is what your business deserves. If you're interested in learning more, check out the link in the show notes to see if website in a week is the right fit for you. 
what's your some of your fondest memories of the culinary classroom of teaching classes? Is it is there a particular group that you love? Do you like the youth that come or do you like the older yeah. adult classes or is there a specific memory that you can share with us that, you know, I think kids summer camp makes my heart smile because the kids mm-hmm. are so sweet. And because at the beginning there was none of these food network shows and baking shows kids would not even know how to crack an egg and now they come and they're like I don't want to tear a scale and I are using all purpose and so mm-hmm. the the education of the children that start in camp is so different we had a lot of like proposals and keep things happen while people were baking like making messages on pies so I love that stuff and I love you know I lived in this great neighborhood called Ossington and Dundas and like I said it's one of the coolest neighborhoods in the city just seeing my neighbor's kids grow up like they would come a little boy max he came when he was like two and he did cookie decorated christmas with a little like christmas hat and then he would come every year and now max is 10 and like i love just seeing max grow and billy lived a few few doors down she and her little sister would always come and now billy helped me at summer camp she's like 16 and she's a grown woman and so i just love that part and then I think my favorite funniest part was one of our chefs. Oh, randomly, we had had a fire on the roof of our building. The water, the firemen apparently sealed it. We had camp going. My mom was there with escort all the kids to the local park. Like nobody got hurt, but like something ignited on the roof of the tenant's apartment. And during all the chaos, this fireman had sealed everything and they said everything's great so that night we had a mackerel class with our chef Lindsay, who's one of my favorites she's so hilarious and outgoing and uh all of a sudden like water started gushing through the roof while she was teaching so she's like can you come over and i lived upstairs i left actually left a few doors down so i rushed over so she's no problem i'm gonna keep teaching and it was like out of what's it called carol burnett she put a garbage bag over her head she tied it up. I was getting buckets. My cousin Emily and I, because it was always family, friends helping, were like mopping water. And she just kept teaching, like shouting through the water, pouring through the ceiling. The, the students were like laughing. And she finished the whole class. And I was like, this, there's like a million stories out of this sweet baker that, you know, there's so many more with, you know, heating and landlord issues and oh my God. and crazy customers trying to break the door down and and. Yeah. But so many good times, too. So really. many fun times. So yeah, and all of those were fun times. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole other show about, and, like, entrepreneurship yeah. on the other side and, and how to persevere all of oh. those times. Oh, my gosh. I can't even. And delivering wedding cakes and wow. breaking my finger on a day delivering wedding cake. And, you know, wedding wedding issues of people receiving a cake for, like, $500,000 wedding and then... Wow. calling us saying we can't find the cake i'm like well we dropped it off we put it in the fridge of this giant venue so someone's got to have it wow you know, oh my uh, gosh 100 pound yeah 100 pound cake does not go walking so that's insane <laughs> let's talk about the cookie company jewels julie jewels how do you say it julie's julie's Julie cookie. cookie co yeah yeah company and where where did the inspiration for that come from i mean i know <laughs> you know yeah when my son was born, I think every mom, you know, at every stage of their life is always trying to do the best for their child. And I was having trouble breastfeeding and I was Googling what I could eat, what I could do, what I could drink, what I could take. 
And uh, one of my former employees, Holly, had given me a lactation cookie that she made when she had her kids. And I remembered that. And I said, oh, I'm going to try and make those cookies. And uh, who's going to make a cookie when you've just had a baby? No, thank you. So then I tried to find them and I couldn't really find them. They were like a health food store that takes six weeks to deliver because health food stores and delivery weren't a thing. Or I don't know. It was just weird. So I drove to Target in Buffalo and I bought them because they were on the shelves of Target. Like no one in Canada was carrying them. Like, why isn't Walmart, Shoppers, you know, Rexall, everyone carrying them? So I came back and my head chef at the time was like, what? Why didn't you drive there? We make like thousands of cookies. And I was like, oh, yeah, can you guys make me? So I remember Daniela, like she's a wonderful baker. She made me a giant batch of cookies and she nailed the recipe and they were delicious. And and I think during that new mom phase, I don't know how, but we got connected with the city of Toronto new development department and small business team and they heard about it or I don't, I still to this day don't remember because, you know, the first year motherhood is a blur. Mm-hmm. We got some government funding. We won an award at a trade show in Toronto. We, we started selling our cookies and then trying to, navigate the whole new world of cpg danny my number one person like at the business she's built a cpg brand in the last five years and yeah we're now on the shelves of some of canada's national retailers and amazon and oh exciting yeah we're looking to expand in the u.s so it's kind of again not something that was on my radar and i had met our lactation consultant again in that neighborhood we were both trying to rent the same vacuum cleaner just to steam clean our carpets at the bakery. And she was trying to steam clean, I guess she has three boys, something at her house. We both grabbed the, it was like out of a friend's episode. We both grabbed the steam cleaner and we looked at each other. I was like, oh God, I really need this. She's like, me too. I'm like, I'm down the street. She's like, I'm down the street. So we shared it. She told me she was a lactation consultant and she does policy for the government. It works with the hospitals. And I was like, I have no clue what that is because I'm single and no clue. Yeah. And then when I had my son, I was like, oh, I'm going to call Catherine again. And because she had said that day, you should have cookies at this bakery. And I was like, okay, lady, whatever. Right? It's so <laughs> But cool. now she's our spokesperson and, you know, a huge supporter. And she's just like an earth mom. She did help me when I had my son with breastfeeding. And mm-hmm. yeah, the, the main goal of that business is to give back because there's so many women that think they can't breastfeed because their mom tells them not to or they were raised on formula there's so many stereotypes and educational wrongs and and, you know breastfeeding in public is scorned so I'm trying to really focus on the education side and giving back because you know I was breastfeeding just at my local cafe in the summer and some old man came and said that it was like horrible and kind of like accosting me and I was like sitting here on the very quiet corner like breastfeeding my son and like, where did that come from? And he was probably 70 or plus, and I'm sure he was breastfed because that's the only thing that was available 70 years ago. So it's just such a weird, like, microcosm of lack of knowledge and education and public. There's billboards with breasts mm-hmm. by the Kardashians everywhere. And why can't a woman be breastfeeding? Why is she always hiding? I remember this vividly in my childhood growing up. My aunts that were breastfeeding were in a dark bedroom. They yeah. were in the bathroom. They were excommunicated at parks, park mm-hmm. birthdays. They were doing it in the car. I'm like, why are why is everyone hiding this? Like this is you're feeding your child. Like anyway, so yeah. I you, that's another 
no, but I love, of- I, I love that you, a portion from every box that's sold goes to breastfeeding education. And I'm very passionate about this too, because I have memories too. And it's not like I'm an old mom by any oh. means. I'm, I remember those feelings. And I also come from pop health. So huh. like working with the lactation consultants and understanding like all the things when they would discuss the things that were coming up and so many and myths. feeling that so many myths and feeling that and having those memories too of having to go into the other room you know dirty bathroom like just things like that don't make any sense because it's such a crazy new world and I understand now why people write about motherhood and pregnancy and all those things because it is like one of the most amazing things that can happen to you, but it's also one of the scariest things because your body changes and you're, you know, responsible for this another human being and you want to do the best for them so that they are healthy and happy and all and of your the- hormones are everywhere. Right. And oh my gosh. Like, your everywhere. brain is not functioning and you're. Yes. Then you're like, oh, here, you got a breastfeed? Go into this dirty toilet stall. Right. And you're like, what? And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm breastfeeding anywhere and everywhere. And if you don't like it, look away. Sorry, mister. A hundred percent. So I love, love that you create and are creating awareness around this because we we need to normalize this more. And the more we talk about it, the more normal it will be. And just like anything around health education, right? So it's so important. And I love that you shared that. I'm so excited that things are going so well for that business because yeah, like life happened during COVID, right? Oh I gosh. feel like just even getting a little glimpse about the businesses that you have stepped foot into and we just covered and scratched the surface of them. But you've always just constantly learned how to adapt and evolve. And I feel like as a new entrepreneur myself, that is something I've had to do. And I don't even have a brick and mortar. So I can't even imagine. So lucky. I oh can't even imagine like all the other things that are in play yeah. when you take that on. But also super exciting. And like you're, you're, you really are an inspiration. And I'm so, so grateful that our paths have crossed. And I get a little glimpse inside when you do your interviews of who you know, and sharing their stories and what has inspired them to take these paths in their life. Because more of us just need that little gentle nudge to be like, it's okay. You might fall off the rails a little bit. You can get back on or there's another another track. Don't worry about it, right? There's another door. There's another path. There's always another way if you want it to happen. So I love that. Do you have any tips before we uh, wrap up this episode? Any tips for entrepreneurs that are really trying to recognize opportunities or take that chance on themselves to to just start? Yeah, I think most entrepreneurs fear failure, but failure is a huge, and it's awful to like gl- glorify it. It's necessary to build resilience and to learn and to pivot and to change and to do better. So, I mean, it's not for the faint of heart being an entrepreneur and you're going to have some wins and have some losses and it's not the end of the world if you have losses and yeah sometimes you get a bruised ego and you got to take some time to recover and regroup but I mean if it was easy everyone would be doing it so it is a tough road because a lot of people think oh I'm gonna open something and if it doesn't work I'm gonna it takes a long time and you have to look at some super successful companies that hit it out of the gate mm-hmm. and then a lot that if you read their story, it takes 13, 14 years to get to that level. And sometimes the next generation takes the next level. And sometimes it takes five years or 10. So it's not a like 
instant millionaire type of job. So that's why it's a very rare breed that kind of can do it. And yeah, sometimes I'm like, this is what am I doing? And then sometimes I'm like, I could probably never do anything else. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And especially from coming from a history of not having the best support of upper management to being able to understand what you need in business to be able to help operate, having employees around you and how you want to treat them all like plays yeah. into, into that. I, yeah. I always huh. said, I will never, I want to start my own business because I will never treat people like this. Yeah. And I remember saying to some of the younger interns at the agencies that I worked at, I worked at FPR agencies, and I would say, this is not real life. You mm-hmm. should not be crying at work. Your boss should not be yelling at you. This is like the 100%. PR world of London of that time, which probably now will not even would not even fly. But at that time, it was like sex, drugs, and rock and roll to the extreme. Wow. So I would say to them, because I had come from internal roles and external roles, and that was consulting. Mm-hmm. I was like, go to another agency. This is not this is not right. Yeah. You should not be bawling your eyes out because of a spelling error, like that your your boss yeah. found in a press release. Like that's. Like it was the devil wears oh like times a hundred. And yeah, and these poor 20-year-olds were like, yeah. So, Things yeah. can be different. Things should be different. And they are. And I I'm love sure that now, for you. Yeah. I love that for you. Um, you're, The name of the podcast is Culinary Chronicles. You finished your first season. Uh, if people want to find you in other places outside of the podcast, because please listen to the podcast. There's so many great episodes in there. But where else can people find you? Because I know the Culinary Classroom, there is some online stuff that people can yes. um, check out. Yes, we have some online courses that you can take from anywhere around the world. So it's called La Dolce Culinary Classroom here in Toronto. It's www.ladolce.com, L-E-D-O-L-C-I. And the cookies are Julie's Cookie Co. And it's juliescookiecompany.com. And we'll be launching some new products for kids in the next year or two, too. So. Oh, my God. She's been busy. Okay. I'll have all yeah. that good stuff in the show notes. Before you go, one last question. What, what is your definition of success? Oh, that's a good one. I a happy team. People that love to work with you and beside you. I think a work-life balance, which I didn't do very well with for many years. Um, but I think success to me is being able to volunteer at my son's pizza lunch next week and take him out of school early because I'm, you know, I have a flexible schedule and I'm the boss. Yeah, just being flexible and, and taking a lunch break and I don't know, just being happy with work-life balance and also seeing customers that our Google reviews are five stars because everyone that we hired is happy. They show it. They, mm-hmm. they have passion. So I think it's a it's an easy industry to do well at because if you find passionate bakers that want to teach their skill, you have passionate students that are happy and they leave with a box of cupcakes or cakes or they decorated, you know, or they've made donuts or croissants. Like, how can you not have customer happy customers like that? Unless you're totally evil, you're bringing people happiness with such pretty macarons and like things that we teach, which give, which personally to me and people who love food and pastry bring joy, like bringing home a cream puff in the shape of a dove. Would you not come home and say, oh my God, look what I made. This is so much fun. So you are in such a fun industry to be in. I mean, like you just said, who wouldn't enjoy doing some of that, some of those classes and learning new skills because 
food is a part of our everyday life. So if you can have fun doing something a little different in your kitchen, why wouldn't you? So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I love our conversation. I know, me too. You know, I only want the very best for you. So thank you. Me too. Thank you, Kim. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the Online Creator Podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please do so on your favorite media player and come check us out over on YouTube where you have full access to our episodes on video there. You can check out the important links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes and please join the conversation over on Instagram at May and James Co. I'll see you next week.